0: Plus. From
2: Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, the era of Ducati and Francesco Bagnaia continues as this year MotoGP wrapped up with back-to-back titles, settled in a season finale in Valencia. It went right down to the wire. And although the final points table might not look that it would, like it was so close, it was a fantastic season to watch. A season-long battle with his closest challenger, Jorge Martín, in a season where Breakout stars were winning for the very first time. New riders were establishing themselves and old partnerships were ending. And if you're listening to this, and perhaps it's because we're in your podcast feed, and there might be people listening who perhaps don't follow MotoGP week in, week out, we will tell you why 2024 is going to be the season where you think, all right. I think I need to cover this a little, watch this a little more closely. I'm Martin Lee, and joining me today are two of our excellent MotoGP and bike experts, Lewis Duncan here in wet and windy and rainy Great Britain. And joining us from down under, where it's slightly different, is Oriol Pujamon. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining me. Look, I thought sometimes we go through these season reviews kind of rider by rider or team by team, but actually, the season we've just had, Let's almost talk about it battle by battle. And we have to talk about the title battle. Oriol, I'll start with you. What kind of year did 2023 deliver now that you can look back on it?
3: Uh, Yeah, I think it was uh, super interesting because we had a new title contender that uh, it came up. Uh, I'm not going to say from nowhere, but uh, yeah, or out of the blue, but uh, yeah, everybody was expecting a lot from Jorge, but um, yeah, this year, I mean, he was delivering, I would say that he's been the fastest, uh, not the most consistent, because Beko, um was the one who got the, the title, but uh, in terms of Pure speed, I think Jorge was was, was faster than than Pico.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed it kind of got to the halfway point of the season with Martin. where it almost, you know, he'd had kind of a, a difficult twenty twenty two on that twenty twenty two bike. You know, if you remember, the engines and the Primat bike and the factory team bike were a bit different, and I think that really kind of, you know, it took Martin a, a long, long time to kind of get his head around that. And then you get to the second half of this season and or the first half of the season, sorry, and he was kind of, you know, there were some good results, but, you know, it, it almost, he kind of threatened to be, you know, it was he was threatening to be this really quick rider that just almost wouldn't quite make that next step. And then you get to sort of Germany time, where he has that great battle with Beko, Bagnaia, you know, last lap, beats him there, first Grand Prix win in a couple of years, and then it, that really kind of set the tone it took a few more races for him to get going and then once you got to sort of second half of the campaign there was no question that martin was was the faster of the two two riders
2: i mentioned this a moment ago the points difference i think was 39 points yeah. by between them by the end of the season which almost disguises in a way if you just look at the number thing oh, it was it was a two-horse race this year but it was in the end a comfortable victory but it really wasn't there was jeopardy it was a, a season that you had to follow all the way through to valencia
1: yeah, hundred percent. I mean, obviously, we had the addition of sprint races, so that meant that weekends now were worth thirty-seven points. So, you know, a, a mistake in, in you know in one part of the weekend could actually kind of be sort of multiplied a little bit. If you know, if you had a bad qualifying, for example, and, uh, and we, um, especially in the second half of the season, we saw a real kind of tug of war sort of between Peko and, and Martin. You know, from Saturday to Sunday, Martin was generally the better in those sprint races. You know, he won nine in total this year. Peko was then better on Sundays, but Martin was also a bit better in qualifying. And Peko there was a few times, you know, you think back to Indonesia where he fell out of Q1 and was only 13th on the grid. So there was times where Peko really kind of dropped the ball and Martin was then able to pick it up and then Peckle would come back. And so it got to a point where you got to the final Grand Prix of the season, on that Sunday in Valencia, the gap was 14 points, still in Pecco's favour, but, you know, Martin was clearly the quicker rider, and, you know, in that grid as well, uh, Martin summed up quite well on, uh, on on the Saturday, you know, it's Pecco had to finish fifth, and it's not easy to do that in MotoGP these days, you have all these quick guys on Ducatis, the KTMs are quick, the Aprilias are quick, there was no sort of, uh, Pecco just needed to ride around in fifth and settle for that, he, he had to, he had to push as hard as Martin. And in the end, you know, Martin pushed just a little bit too hard. There was that kind of mistake at turn one, which was easy, easy done to be fair with aerodynamics. Slipstream got caught caught up there. It's happened to Peko and Qatar. We've seen it a lot. And then obviously the tangle with Marquez. Martin admitted just a bit too, kind of not patient enough. Uh, and that was it. But, you know, that's. That also comes with the fact that he's never been in this position before, so he was also learning how to be a championship contender at MotoGP level. Peko, obviously, last year had gone through the same thing. So that's that's a very hard thing for a rider to kind of match when you don't have that experience versus someone who does, you know. There is always going to be that little bit of a shortfall and, and um, education, let's say.
2: Let me take you both back to the beginning of the season. Uri, as we came into 23... What were you expecting of 2023 and what battles do you think you might see as we came into the year?
3: I was expecting a stronger Honda, stronger Yamaha. They both actually went into the biggest hole of um, their history. Um, And, of course, it was a big shock to see uh, Mark Marquez mm, like... uh, having a completely different approach than the one that he uh, used to have um, approaching races, I mean after what happened in Saxon ring when he had i think if I'm not mistaken uh, five uh, crashes in two and a half days um before he decided to pull off uh, of the race, um yeah, it had a huge impact on his um yeah head and he decided to pull back and to say listen i'm not gonna get injured again unless they bring me a better bike better material i'm not gonna risk my life um as the way i've been doing it until until now so that's one of the keys of the of the season and uh, about what we were talking uh, before uh, I would say that I, I fully agree about what what Louis said but I would say that there's a big um, moment or a super important Grand Prix of the season which was Montmelot, Uh when Peco had this huge crash and after that, We've had a completely different different season. And and the most painful thing of the season has been yeah watching market struggling that much with that Honda and also Fabio Cortararo. Um, two of the most, I would say, in my opinion, two of the most talented guys out there. Um, just, yeah, not being able to fight in front.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree with, with Yuri there. I mean... Um... Mark's, I remember pre-season, uh, the Valencia test last year and, and Mark kind of didn't speak very highly of the Honda but you know, at the time it kind of looked like actually there were positive signs there uh, and then we just get to the preseason this year in Sepang and Qatar and it's uh, uh, clear from the off, uh, in Portugal sorry, it's clear from the off that something just isn't working with that bike, yes he had the pole position in Portugal but the way he had to go about doing that you know, following another rider it just it was obvious from there that the the championship was going to be difficult. How difficult it became, I don't think any of us predicted. I mean, that Saxon Ring weekend, I guess, really you could say was the turning point. A track we all thought he was going to be quick at, because even when he had the arm problems a few years ago, he was still able to win there. The fact he couldn't even, you know, get round a practice session without throwing the bike at the scenery, and I'll always remember that image of him on the Sunday after the warm-up, after the the fifth crash. You know, he stood, you know, leant over the Armco, just, you know, the most defeated, I think, we've ever seen Mark before. And I think at that point, it kind of became clear that continuing with Honda couldn't really happen for him if he wanted to to be competitive again.
2: Yeah, he would end up having a sort of slightly better end of the second half of the season but it couldn't really have got any worse um, I suppose but let's go back to the title battle this year and our two main championship contenders and the entertainment that it delivered this year because as many of our listeners know my full-time beat has to be on the Formula One uh, beat covering that and that is that, that is pretty intensive and so you end up often Having to follow your other favourite sports either on replay or catch up or anything like that, so it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Lewis, from an outsider's perspective, as in I'm not I'm not covering your sport week in, uh, week out. It almost seemed like glory or nothing for Pecco at times. I was either watching stuff and he was coming off the bike and you know and, and just feeling very frustrated or scoring just fantastic results. That was my impression. My, is that did I, get, did I get the wrong impression?
1: Um, no, I think I think that's kind of fair. We saw he, he made that just fantastic start to the season, where he won sprint and and Grand Prix, and it kind of looked like he'd gotten rid of those mistakes that he made quite a lot the year before, and which left him with such a massive championship gap to try and close. Uh, and then you get to Argentina and Austin, and he makes a couple of couple of errors there. The Austin one, while he was leading, and you know at the time he kind of blamed the bike for being too stable, and he kind of then rolled back on it a little bit, but it was kind of clear that the there was still a little bit of the the old Pekko, let's say, in there. But I think what stood out for me, and certainly in the first half of the season, and then at moments in the second half, was that when Peckle was on form, it was the best peckle Bagnaya we've ever seen. You know, if there was a mistake one race, he would come back the next one, and it would be, you know, domination, it would be sprint, you know, pole sprint, Grand, Grand Prix win. Uh, and Yuri's 100% right. Barcelona was a big, big moment in, in the championship battle. If you remember, you know, that sprint race afterwards, he was 66 points ahead in the championship. It very much looked at that point like, not game over, but very much it was going to go the way of Peco. Then this crash happens. He has a horrible incident with Binder where his leg gets run over. And for a few rounds, he's kind of feeling the after effects of that. Martín steps into the role and completely wipes out his advantage. So then when, you know a bad moment comes you know some he had some struggles with you know kind of the breaking of the bike for a few rounds uh you know with the gap gone and martin in form that's really where you know kind of the difference started to to be made had it not been for that barcelona race i think the story probably would have been quite a lot different
2: uri what's your thoughts on pecco's performance through the year
3: yeah i think that he, as as luis said we've seen the best pecco so far but um, i would I would add that um, there's a big difference between how uh, both title contenders uh, usually build up their weekends. Um, because normally, Peko goes from Friday step by step, little steps, baby steps. But uh, he's getting closer, 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 closer. But he always ends up there, fighting uh, for the top positions, while uh, we've seen in other riders, uh, if they start far, it's more difficult for them to 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 reduce the gap and to be able to to get into the yeah, to fighting for the podium, uh, for example. Um, with with Jorge, is a bit like this. The thing is that he's been super fast the whole year, and um, with. Uh, heard him saying see, uh, I mean from the beginning of the year I'm in love with that bike I'm in love with that bike in comparison with last year's bike why is that? because last year's bike he had the let's say the last evolution of the Ducati while uh, Peco and Jack Miller at the time decided to make a step back and to have the." 2021 engine with um, they call it an hybrid bike but the engine was 2021 so that's why Jorge Martin is being repeating the whole season uh, I'm super in love with that bike I'm happy with this bike this bike is completely different than last year's bike so he's yeah he's feeling super good with 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 uh, this uh, GP 23 from the day one and he's yeah, being able to be fast um, from friday to sunday while peco um, his strategy is is, is different um, especially or, or uh, yeah especially now that the friday morning session it doesn't count for the qualifying um so he's been able to relax a bit more even more and and then on the practice uh make the first step um martin has been fast since friday and it's yeah it, it shows that he has this this pure speed uh that probably uh, peco uh, prefers to yeah to to go in a different in a different way
2: and lewis one of the storylines i've tried to tried to follow this year was it Ducati domination they get everything right that they needed to to dominate or was it that Yamaha and Honda underperformed so badly that they opened the door or is it a mix of both?
1: Ducati for a, for a number of years now ever since sort of Gigi Deligno came in as general manager sort of, sort of end of 2013-2014 has been sort of a steady kind of rebuilding phase for Ducati. Davide Tardozzi called it their new history Uh, when I spoke to him on the Monday after the Grand Prix in Valencia. And, you know, ever since then, they've kind of taken steps forward, steps forward, steps forward, become race winners again, gotten closer to championships. Then, you know, Pecco comes along, you know, and then into the factory team and for 2022 finally ends that sort of championship drought. But, you know, Ducati has eight bikes on the grid, spread among eight fast riders, um, you know, between the factory team and Pramac, you know, it has complete machine parity, full championships, uh, full work support. You know, for the satellite teams that are on the year old bike, they've got Ducati technicians, they've got all the data available to them from all the riders. And I think that's really the key thing is that Ducati's kind of created this sort of very <laughs> almost kind of socialist environment within its manufacturer that it, it, everything is open, everything is shared, everyone is privy to the same data, you know, they get the technical meetings everything you know and if you've got a satellite team with a full factory bike like Prabak you get all the support you get all the updates and that's really been the key thing yes Honda and Yamaha take you know not really taking a step forward has opened the gap but Ducati was already sort of stepping into that domination role and I think this year was just step two of what we saw last year really as was just, as just the follow up to that and you know you have to think next year you know, with the great group of riders, great bike. The, I mean, the bike has is the best bike on the grid and has been for, for a couple of seasons now. And, you know, arguably even sort of in the second half of 2021, it was the best bike as well. You know, it's been a very steady progress. And I just think the way Ducati operates, a lot of manufacturers have tried and not quite got there yet. But it's, you know, a really testament to Ducati's ethos as a manufacturer. Yeah.
2: Uh, Uri, I think they had something like nine podium lockouts this year. They're on this form at Ducati at the moment. Uh, tell us about the the rules set in Mocho GP and where that goes in the future, not just next year, but as time goes on, and whether Ducati is a cliche in motorsport, but when you are dominating and winning, your competitors not only have to improve so much to catch you, but you're improving as well then they have to improve a bit more to overtake you once you're ahead by so much you can almost a manufacturer can almost seem like they can never be caught what what do you think about the way that the rules are set up in MotoGP and the ducati's dominance at the moment and what that could mean for potentially the others never being able to catch up in the short term or medium
3: term first of all i would say that is a meek of things uh, of course, Ducati way of work, as Luis, um was saying, it's a key factor. But also, uh, I mean, don't forget that Yamaha had four bikes on the past. They decided to give up on the on the satellite team uh, because they, yeah, they had no trust um on the financials uh, uh, part of the deal with r and and f which uh, lately it, it they were probably right uh, and and also Honda, the way that they operate the satellite team is completely different than ducati um uh, so it's more or it has been more a business partner. Than a sportive partner. So uh, while at the same time, Ducati is taking profit of everything, they share a lot of things, they give a lot of parts to the satellite teams in order to get, um, yeah, uh, to gather as much data as they can so they can improve the bike faster. That's one, 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 one point. And um about the regulation, um we've seen I really like I, I also follow Formula One. I would say that if somebody like Honda or Yamaha is able to to yeah to catch Ducati in the next two or three years, it would be I would consider that the same as what um, Red Bull did um, with um, Mercedes in 2021. Uh, I know how we end up this, this season with this last crazy race in, in Abu Dhabi. But, I mean, um, I think that the gap is huge at the moment. And um, is not only because Ducati um has done a massive step it's just because the, the the others didn't i mean haven't been able to change their approach to change to adapt to the new rules and i'm talking about rules not about the regulations i'm talking about the way to produce downforce the way to build the bikes the key factors of the bike so now we have this new uh, concession system that will be introduced next year in trying to, yeah, uh, to let's say to mm, put some limits on the on this crazy Ducati dominance. But I would say a but, um, it doesn't matter that the others can test as much as they can. Also, the the, um, the official riders, and it doesn't matter if they have. Free freedom to to develop the engine, as long as they don't change the way of work. If they don't change the approach, the concessions won't be nothing.
1: One of the key things that Yamaha and Honda have struggled with is this Europe, adapting to a European mentality. You know, just trying things on the bike, throwing things at the bike, taking risks. You know, if they don't work, it's fine. We'll try something else. Whereas, obviously, with japanese manufacturers it's very much a case of you know we will test this thing until it works and if we can't get it to work that is a big failure whereas the european you look at the, the balance of power now you know Ducati, ktm Aprilia, that's your top riders in the championship it's because of that sort of work ethic and you know honda and yamaha are trying slowly to kind of break away from it but you know it, it's not it's a gradual process and Really, if Suzuki was still around, I think Suzuki would probably be a step ahead of them because with Davide Brivio at the helm, they had that kind of sort of European mentality, that way of working of, you know, this is what we need. And, you know, he was really able to pull out of the Japanese at Suzuki, you know, this kind of... This need to to actually, you know, throw development at the bike, not just try things, you know, not develop little areas and then get them perfect. It was throw lots of things and then let's see what happens.
2: Okay, let's get back to talking about some of the uh, the battles that we saw this year. Perhaps the next, maybe take the next couple of riders actually uh, together. So Marco uh, Bezecchi, and Brad Binder. We saw Bezecchi riding through uh, an injury uh, and racing really well through a collar, collarbone injury uh, this year, which just amazes me. It's one of the things about... MotoGP riders that is so different to many, many other sports. They're like, oh, I'll wait to see if I'm cleared to race this weekend. Like, oh, I've got a collarbone injury, but I'll be fine. And then they go and uh, stick on the podium or something. It's just like, it is an amazing sport to watch. Um, tell us about, uh, Uri, how those two riders this year uh, did and how they acquitted themselves, how that sort of sets up 2024 for their you know, emerging talent.
3: Yeah, I think that uh, both are special. I mean, uh, Becchi has something different than the others, and also Brad. I mean, the way that he got the title in um, Moto3, uh, yeah, it was super special. He's, uh, I mean, one of the most talented riders out there. I mean, not say by by me, but for also for for hmm. most of of his rivals on track. Um, but we need we need to see. The last step from the KTM, uh, because uh, sometimes the KTM is almost the fastest bike. is able to to yeah to fight with the Ducati, um, but uh, in in some others it's it's too unstable. That bike is still too unstable. So and and we need to see if. Which I think is Brad is good enough to fight for a title, but we need to see uh, 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 the I would say the last step from that bike, the last step. Um, they had at the beginning of the year the best um, start, let's say launch system of the grid. Then Ducati react, and uh, yeah, they are both at the same level. So they are doing really good steps also by signing people from Ducati, which is in the end the key, not only from Ducati, but it's also in Formula One, it happens like this. I mean, uh, why Aston Martin last year was so fast? So because they... Took the right people from the right places, and 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 they had a, a really good uh, drivers, uh, at least one. Uh, and and and, <laughs> and and but why why KTM has been that good just because of this? Because they took the right hmm. people from the right places. That's why the. The, the Yamaha and Honda are struggling that much because, mm, you know, they are Japanese. They don't really trust the European engineers, as as Luis was saying. So uh, <laughs> we need to see this next step. And I was speaking with somebody from the top management in Ducati uh, two days ago, and uh, he told me maybe next year we'll have a big surprise of the uh, with with the KTM, and it will be the the fastest bike out there because i mean with ktm we have seen that they are able to to send messages and 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 if they are able to stabilize to balance that bike i think they will have probably uh, the one yeah a bike be able to to compete with uh with the best uh ducati out there and and it's not only me also mark market has said that uh during the season um, i remember i think it was before the austrian grand prix when he was invited into the service tv show and he said that in in two or three years Probably the KTM will be the the benchmark in in terms because uh, they are investing a lot of money. They have big support from Red Bull, so uh, yeah, they have everything. And now we only need to see if Brad Binder is good enough to fight for a title in MotoGP. We've seen him that is super talented, but we need to see him uh, performing at yeah at a uh, MotoGP title contender level.
1: Yeah, and the other thing with KTM as well, we've been talking about Formula One, they've kind of forged a, a working partnership with Red Bull as well you, to help develop aerodynamics, which, you know, as Yuri mentioned a few minutes ago, has been a real key area where Ducati is, has really stolen a march. So the fact that KTM is actually using its kind of, all of its connections, you know, is is is, is will be a good thing for it, um, you, you, Brad is what, Brad strikes me as kind of the rider that the bike doesn't have to be perfect if they can just get it to be where he can extract the maximum from it. Every, well, I mean, he's already extracting the maximum from it but where you can get, you know, the the best of himself out of that bike in the same way Mark did with the Honda a few years ago, where the bike necessarily wasn't the best, but he was able to make up the difference.
3: Just, just one thing about that, yeah. I, I'm, I, I agree hundred percent. But with the bike not being at 100%, Brad Binder won't be able to fight the Ducatis. Maybe for a race, maybe for two races, but not for the title. At this level, at the level that that the that Ducati have uh, and that the that, that, that Ducati have put their backs at the moment, I mean, no way. And don't forget, I am I'm, I'm sure we will talk about that later. Don't forget that we need we have mark market next year on the ducati so yeah. it will shake yeah. up the field like hell so
1: yeah sorry about that <laughs> I, I, I it's, it's a, no it's a hundred it's a very fair point and the other the other thing about that is if you actually look at the rest of the ktm riders you know brad was 100 120 points clear of his teammate you know and jack miller's not a, a bad rider but you know if if he doesn't have that sort of support as well, obviously Ducati can throw, you know, they've got five, six guys who can be there every weekend. You know, if KTM has one guy, you know, trying to fight and defend at the same time, obviously next year we're going to have Pedro Acosta, who is going to be a rookie, so we can't put too much pressure on his shoulders yet. However,
3: Uh, I, I, I I risk a lot by saying that, but I can easily imagine Ducati winning all the races next year.
1: I think so too. I mean, on Sunday, I, I, it's it's a Red Bull situation, one hundred percent from this year. I mean, yeah,
3: but different. the the The, the difference is that Red Bull only has two cars and Ducati. Uh, uh, we've seen that the eight, eight, eight bikes eight, eight. are able to win because the difference between yeah, that, the, the, the the you know the GP twenty three and the GP twenty two is not big. So we've seen even with all my respect, don't get me wrong. Fabio Di Gian Antonio winning winning uh, races, yeah. so and, and I'm not saying that he's a bad rider, but you cannot compare Fabio no, no, no. Di Gian Antonio with uh, Fabio Quartararo, with of course Mike Marquez, Pecco, so even Martin. So yeah, that's why I think that maybe we can have uh, yeah <laughs> uh, uh, Ducati winning all the races next year.
1: I I, well, I agree. I mean, it's, there is you know, if anyone is able to get up there and beat them, you know, we saw it a couple of times this year with Honda and Aprilia, but those were very circumstantial. If someone can beat Ducati fair and square,
3: yeah, but don't forget that, don't forget that, that one forget One of the winners here is Alex Rins that is not with Honda anymore. Yeah. So no. and and I I mean, if Fabio Quartararo has not been able. To, to win a single race this year uh, I'm not saying that Fabio is much it's miles ahead of Alex but uh, I think it will be difficult for him um, to win to win next year with yeah. this kind of material
2: right I was about to ask your season highlights but I'll hold on to that question because it seems like a good time to dig in a little more into uh, to mark Marquez so let's talk about him now Lewis can you explain to the listeners what the last year or two but really since 2020 has been like for him why he made a 15 million euro decision to do something different in 2024 that what that says about him as a fighter as someone who wants to be back at the sharp end who will not care about the money although he's done okay um, but who is what 30 years old to be 31 in february prime of his life and he wants to be winning a seventh world championship so what Tell us what happened there and what we can expect.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think really the the key, I mean, if I was to sum it up in a word, I don't think I'd be able to use it, you know, for sort of PG-13 sort of requirements. But, you know, since the, the, uh, what Mark put himself through to, to get fit again with the arm, you know, four operations, a really major one last year, you know, in the middle of the season, you know, he put himself through hell to to get, you know, to to be fully fit again. He needed Honda to uphold its end of the bargain by building him a bike that he could then be competitive on. And it it didn't, you know, for, for one reason or another, it just didn't. And, you know, he was, yes, we'd start the season this year with some injuries after a collision with Oliveira wasn't ideal, but really... Even without that, there wasn't going to be a situation. Austin, maybe, you know, if Rins could win in Austin, Mark almost certainly could have won in Austin. But there wasn't going to be a situation where Mark was all of a sudden going to be fighting at the front. It was always going to be difficult, and there was always going to be those crashes that he had. And I think it was always going to get to a point where it was, he he felt he had to make a move. And, you know, he's spoken about this a lot. Yes, the Ducati the best bike, He's going to go there and he is he is going to win races next year. I think he will win the championship next year. It's, you know, it, it just, if, with all due respect, if riders like, you know, Digian Antonio and, 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 and Zarco and, and the likes can win races on the Ducati, Mark Marquez will win easily. You know, there's no question about that. But he needs to go there to, for his own kind of mental, um, You know, kind of to to prove to himself that he can be competitive, that he can have fun again, that he is still the rider he was before the crash. Because thus far, the Honda hasn't really allowed him to to understand that. And after what we saw in that that test in Valencia, where he was just under two tenths off the pace, you know, while also about to go for surgery on an arm pump issue. Yes, lap times are one thing, but when he got off the bike. You know, for the first time and he looked at Frankie Carcetti's crew chief and he had that smile. And then, you know, later on, a, a camera, a Sky Sports camera caught him talking about how the Ducati was a bit easier to ride than the Honda. You know, he needed to make this move. And I think, you know, even before we've seen him in a race, it was clearly the right decision.
2: Nuri, your thoughts on that decision, that choice he made for to be <laughs> with Grassini in twenty four.
3: Yeah, I think Mark has seen himself in a a crossroad because it was not only about winning. First of all, he's rich and he will be rich anyway despite uh, giving up on the last contract which um, would have given him uh, probably 20 more million. But... He is rich and he will be rich. Um, so, and money aside, I would say that he found himself in a bit of a crossroad because it was not only I want to win with the Honda and I cannot win with that Honda, with that bike. It's a problem that I cannot keep injuring myself because at some point I can be really, really, really hard. So I can hurt myself. I mean, I'm, I mean he can be in, any, any rider can be in a wheelchair or even worse. So um, because of his way to approach racing, he was not going to stay one and a half years like he did in the last 10 races. Like after Saxon Ring, the, the race that we saw that change on him on his approach so um, maybe it was even more dangerous for him to stay in that Honda because I mean if he he, I I asked him a few times and I don't know if he would have been able to keep himself cool and not attack because uh, it's his DNA I mean his DNA on racing is to go full attack so and with that bike he would have Injured himself, hundred percent. So, uh, okay, wait one more year and get this twenty million. And yes, but it was probably more dangerous than make that 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 step. And don't forget one thing: uh, his new teammate is his brother, and. Alex has been a key factor on his decision because they know each other, they train each other, they are brothers and they are, I mean, they are super, super, super close. So they are much closer than Marini and Valentino They, because of the age difference, so they are super close. So from the beginning he knew because Alex told him that he was going to fly with that bike. And not only that, I, again, I spoke with a top management ducati people uh, and they were super 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 shocked and impressed about that first test i mean without knowing the bike at all he was able to be the fastest in some specific points of the track so (laughs) and 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 yeah i mean they were super 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 impressed he they knew that he's this guy is a top class but i'm not sure if they yeah were expecting uh that level of performance at his first test with the ducati so um yeah i think we'll have a a, a huge uh season next year
1: I th- the thing that stood out for me about what Yuri just said there about you know being fast in one sector of the track, it was the sector of the track in Valencia where you really need to have confidence in the front end, which we know has been Marquez's sort of key strength in that Honda. Already, he's clearly found, you know, the way the way to he will still need a bit of adapting, but his way of riding clearly suits suits that bike right now. And um, I don't think I've ever been sat in a press room in a test. Where when someone's posted a lap time, they've the reaction has been as if they just won a Grand Prix. That's exactly what it was like when Mark posted the time where he went fastest for for a while in Valencia. The whole press room erupted in cheers and claps, and which I think says a lot about what people think, you know, we're in for next year.
3: Also, also, it just, I mean, don't forget that of course he will need that time to adapt himself to the bike. But, again, don't get me wrong, uh, full of respect for, for Fabio Di Gian Antonio, for Betzeki, all of them, they are not Mark Marquez, full stop. So if all these guys have been able to adapt to that Ducati, I mean, Mark will fly. And, again, what happened, I, I always said that maybe, yeah, um, I mean what happened when Max Verstappen jumped on the Red Bull um in in Barcelona of course there was a, that race where both Mercedes crashed into each other but I mean uh, I mean uh, coming jumping off a Honda and jumping on a Ducati in 2 days I mean <laughs> it's 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 a, it's a dream it's a dream because uh, in seven laps, he was able to be, yeah, two tenths of, uh, three tenths of the pace. In three, in in seven laps, in seven laps. So of course, yeah, the, the track conditions were completely different than the weekend, and the times were not the same. But I mean, again, with those two factors, I mean, the problem would have been the opposite, jumping off the Ducati. So Zarco will be about. I mean, nobody, nobody thinks about what. Zarko's face. I'm convinced that Zarko's, Zarko's face was completely different than than that smile that we see that we saw from from Mark. So um, that's why I think that uh, yeah, uh, it will be it will be crazy next year. I, I
1: think you know, the other thing about that, and I know it's not a fair comparison, I'm not going to sit here and suggest mm. that Franco Morbidelli and Mark Marquez are in any way equal, but <laughs> you look at Franco's jump up to the Ducati from the Yamaha, and he wasn't as you know, it wasn't as if it was the same instant connection, which I think you know gives a bit more credence to, to to how to Mark's ability to already kind of get his head around that that bike.
2: We've heard Lewis you say that you think he could be champion next year. Ura, you've said that it's he had a dream test in many ways. But let me let me ask Lewis very quickly, finishing off on on Mark. He might be racing literally alongside family with his brother, but he was also with Honda for over a decade and he hasn't taken people with him as far as as far as I know to any degree. He will be without his family all of that support that any top sports person needs they're not a lone wolf they need a huge support network all the way down everything from making sure you've got all the right gear laid out for you in the morning uh, to you know where you're staying and, and your physios and all that kind of stuff how much will he get to take with him and how much is he going to be a fish out of water and how much is he going to be on his own with that mental battle
1: uh, yeah i think he's only taken one person with him xavi ortiz he's tire technician i believe yuri
3: yeah, well, yes, but he's not a key member. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's a key exactly. Member in terms of personal connection with him, but uh, he's not deciding. He's anything. not Santi Hernandez. He's not deciding yeah. anything, yeah. Well, the, uh, he's just doing the tires and uh, the board. Um, yeah, that's that's the only person. It's more, I think, like having somebody familiar, some familiar face around him, than than the work that he specifically does because uh, it's not, let's say, yeah, uh, one of the most you know, key difficult roles to play,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the 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 big thing, obviously... And, and Mark, I think this was a, a key thing in Mark kind of agonising over the decision to leave Honda was the fact he would have to leave behind, you know, crew chief, Santi Hernandez, all those guys that he's worked with for years. And, you know, like like you say, Martin is, is very much family. You know, he, they're still going to be in the paddock. Mark said that we're still going to be able to go for dinner. He's, he, so he's still going to have, you know, a little bit of the kind of sort of uh, out-of-the-garage support, let's say. Um but he is going to Grassini on his own, and he is going to have to get used to that. He is going to have a. He, he does have a great crew chief. Uh, he, is, he is getting a great crew chief in Frankie Carcetti, who worked with Digia this year. Was Dwayne Myers crew chief when he was world champion? Really experienced guy. Uh, you know, he, he's not kind of. He, you know, he, he's 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 got some good people around him, but it, it isn't. It just isn't going to be the same for him. I think that's that's going to be uh, fair the to only say. thing
3: that I would add is that he couldn't, he tried to bring Santi with him but the problem is that one year contract because Ducati didn't allow him to bring the track engineer because they fared then they were a bit scared about the possibility of having them one year and then go to let's say KTM so they don't really I, I, I'm not I say that they don't care about Mark uh, about the the possibility of Mark going to KTM Um, I'm not gonna say that they don't care but they really care about the possibility of one top technician I mean one of the key roles can stay only one year in Ducati and then fly to another manufacturer bringing with him all the 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 information that they can have, so it would have been much easier for Mark to bring Santi with him, if he yeah he would have signed for for two years.
2: Okay, well before we talk about uh, what we could expect in twenty twenty four, and I think we've largely talked a lot about that already. Before we go, Lewis, sprint races in twenty twenty three, as you said earlier, big points are now available over the course of a of a weekend. Did sprints work for the fans?
1: Um, I mean, if you look at purely the amount of people that turned up at races, there was, at most events, there was an increase in spectators on a Saturday compared to last year. Um, You know, whether that is directly related to the sprints or not is obviously kind of impossible to tell because, you know, last year was you kind of coming off COVID times. People haven't been out for a while. You know, races were only just starting to open up. So there was kind of an element of that there as well. So, um from a spectacle point of view, I mean, a sprint is better than a practice session. You know, uh, whether it added anything, I think, I think the sprints would be a lot more exciting if, if the bikes weren't so difficult to follow and overtake and you didn't have this, you know, this tyre pressure consideration, which is going to be worse next year with any, anyone riding underneath this, this minimum limit of the rules getting a disqualification. I think, I think part of the problem that has worked against sprints is the fact that you've got so much aero on these bikes and all these ride height devices that it makes them very difficult to follow. It makes them difficult to overtake, and uh, you know it's why we've I think also seen kind of quite a lot of first lap incidents as well because you need you know the the, the need to make as many overtakes early on in races now is greatly increased. Um, so I think sprints have value. Um, at every race, I'm I'm not so sure. I wonder if they could maybe tweak the format and maybe, you know, just try something a bit different. You know, if you have a sprint weekend, then maybe, you know, maybe you you, you change something else in in the practice format. Maybe make it a two day weekend. You know, really kind of give it some urgency rather than have it every single weekend. Because especially when you've got triple headers and things like that, it becomes a bit it becomes a bit repetitive and a, a little bit stale I think Formula One sprint works because it's a unique thing during the season
3: I like the format I, I really like the format I think it was neat needed the championship really needed this kind of of, of uh, shake but uh, I agree with Luis that for me 22 races it's too much it's too much for the amount of stress that uh, this format is putting into the teams um, about the the risk of course it's the risk is higher than uh, than not having the sprints. But uh, at the end of the year, I think the the grid, the riders have been able to yeah to to adapt themselves and to find the right balance between not risking so much and 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 trying to to make the most of this of these sprint races. Um, at the beginning was a mess. They were all complaining. I mean, this is the jungle. Um, so and and uh, speaking to uh, riders with other uh, about um, of other categories like World Superbike that were they were used to this kind of format, they say yes, but they will come to, to a normal uh, standards of 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 risk and of uh, Yeah, the, the, they will be less aggressive. They will find the right uh, balance. Um, I think that twenty two races is too much. For, for the sprint, I like the format, and and let's see because uh, I mean without uh, this that sprint races, Pego would have won uh, before uh, because uh, Martin has been the king of of the Saturdays. So um, I like again I like the format, but in twenty-two races in my opinion is a bit. Mm, yeah, too, too much.
2: Is that, though, Lewis, something that we've seen across other sports as well? In the, I think there have been times this year uh, when I've been on the MotoGP website and they're using this line, you know, more MotoGP than ever. Like, it just seems like more, what's the answer? More. Like, yeah. what, what can we do for the fans? More. Just do more of everything. And it's like, actually, I mean, sometimes you don't want to go down to you know, 12, 14 events a year because there is more interest in it than that. But also there's a lot of, not dilution. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, no. Sometimes more isn't the answer.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, when you get, I think I look at it from maybe a bit more of a selfish point of view because obviously we work in media. So we look at things like traffic, website traffic. And when you have, you know, multiple races in a row the kind of, the level you, you kind of interest does tend to dip because, you know, fans of a sport like to watch the sport, but, you know, you know, anyone out there is a football fan, ice hockey fan, whatever, you don't watch every single game of your team because you can't and sometimes you don't want to. You've got a life to do. You know, if you're a motorsport fan and you want to watch Formula One and MotoGP, that's a lot of time you have to give up to it. And I think just throwing more things at something and expecting that to be better isn't Really, the case. I mean, we had what twenty four F one rounds this year. Were all twenty four of those F one rounds valuable? Arguably, no. You know, I remember that Baku round where they they introduced the sprint qualifying format, blah blah blah, and it just everything of that weekend just it it was there was no overtaking. It wasn't very good racing. It was just all very like what was this wasn't necessary. And yes, there is going to be weekends where it's going to be boring, but just having more of of, what, of a good thing, as everyone knows, isn't, you know, we don't, you know, you, everyone has a favourite dinner they like to eat, but they wouldn't eat it every single night because you get bored of it and then you wouldn't like it anymore. And it's, I think that's the same kind of approach, but this is the world we live in. There's more money in sponsorship. You If you have more races, you can sell more tickets. But, you know, and obviously television contracts become a bit better for the championship because if you've got more races to sell. You know, there there are these other kind of factors to take into account and i i want to stress as well like you know fair play to dorna for trying something you know we have been in a difficult period with interest they deserve a lot of credit for trying things you know they they tweak the format again a little bit this year to take some pressure off the riders on fridays good you know that's just good that they're kind of adapting to it but i think it just does need a little bit more of a a little bit Fine more tuning. tinkering to be a perfect kind of format. Yeah, e- the, exactly. I think twenty-two rounds is too many. I don't think we we know we we go back next year to having five races on the Iberian Peninsula, which you
3: um, know
1: they can all be rotated. You know, stuff yeah. like that is.
3: The <sighs> thing is that the thing is that I asked that a few a few times to Dorna members and also to the team members, and they say that the problem is that in compared with Formula One, uh, the Formula One start the the spring um weekends as an experiment and uh Dorna didn't. So Dorna went full on with the format. So that's why uh Formula One have has been able to yeah make adjustments in the last years um, and and yeah, readapt going. Uh, uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but from three to six, and then let's see what. Nah, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm, I don't know what what format they will be next year. Um, but I know that they are talking about reverse grids and blah blah blah. So, but it's just because um, I think it's more kind of experiment for for the Formula One. In MotoGP, they needed to do something. And something really aggressive. That's why they took the idea and they went hundred percent with them. So now they are a bit hooked um, by that. They are a bit limited on what they do because um, I asked also Carmelo Espeleta, the CEO of Dorna, uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, why all the races with the Spring wouldn't have. I mean, would haven't been better to to just. Choose, let's say eight, ten, and he said it's super difficult for us to justify who will get the sprint race, and that's that's what they say. Again, I think twenty two is is a bit too much.
2: Before we go, twenty twenty four is a year that fans will hopefully love in Moto GP. But Lewis, do you think it could be a year when new fans get attracted to the sport, and what does the sport need to do to reach out to those people that? Uh, that might
1: have time to watch a bit of MotoGP. Uh, I hope so. I mean, I hope every year's you know a new fan. So, we want new fans. You know, whatever we think about a topic, you know, and I think it, you know it kind of gets there's certain people on social t- Twitter that like to think everyone's you know oh, we're always being negative, blah blah blah. You know, it, it, fundamentally, everyone we it benefits all of us in sat in this room and and sat in the press room and all the rest of it that more people are interested in MotoGP. First of all, it's a great championship, and if there are more people interested, there's more people reading stuff, there's more people engaging. Better for everyone. I, what they can do, I mean, you know, I, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't want to sort of kind of tread on on Dorna's toes there and say what they should be doing. I think Dorna is doing a good job. You know, couldn't they refine things? 100%, you know can they make it more accessible a hundred percent you know there needs to be a bit more of a kind of a a reach out to to fans you know there's obviously especially in the uk you know we've got the the pay television thing right now which hasn't been good for the fan base in, in growing it so there needs to be a rethink about how we engage a new audience whether that's making sprints you know free on on youtube or whatever or it's you know having a bit more of kind of a collaborative sort of television arrangement like Formula One does in the UK with Sky and Channel 4. There are things like that, you know, increasing its sort of social media output. Um, Dan Rosamondo coming in as Chief Commercial Officer will hopefully kind of be able to really work on that kind of element of it, you know, and and make MotoGP's kind of social media sort of savvy and as popular as, as the NBA is, you know, his former... Uh, his former stomping ground. So, you know, dawn is doing a good job, all in all, and I think they deserve praise for that. Can they do things better? Yep, but you can say that about Formula One, and that's enjoying a massive boom right now. So, uh, you know, next year's going to be good. In the fact, we've got Mark on a bike; he can be competitive on. And if you know people like Marquez, whether they love him or hate him, they they like to read about him, they like to watch things about him. If he's winning races, it's great. You know, I, I think that that will be a big year. I think with Pedro Costa being a really highly rated rookie, I think that will be interesting. You know, if if the, if the Japanese manufacturers can use the concessions and get back up there, it'd be great to see people like you know Juan Mir and Fabio Quartararo competitive again. You know, there, there's a lot to be excited about next year.
3: Next year, we have the best ingredients since um, the the days where. Valentino was fighting for titles and if we and I say we I'm talking about Dorna I'm talking about the media I'm talking about the sponsors if we don't succeed it's just because we are so bad at it so uh, yeah I think we have all the ingredients that can make next season one of the best Uh, I'm not gonna say ever but uh, most Yeah, the most exciting seeing uh, seasons uh, in the last 10 years, 15 years. Um, because I mean, with Mark in a Ducati, given all that he's gonna, yeah, smash all the balance that Ducati has between all uh, their uh, riders. Um, yeah, with uh, Rins in a Honda with Pedro Costa being that I'm sure that he will also shake up the 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 feeling in all the Peter mobility group KTM, gas gas uh yeah, I think it's all on us to be honest because the riders will put hundred percent um and and it's just yeah a matter of yeah how to how to explain things and how to show uh the show. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, gentlemen,
2: that's our ultimate season review here on the on the channel, of which I think hopefully we'll do a lot more of in twenty twenty four as well. Thank you for both uh, your times and and have a good off season. Uh, the new season will be here before we know it. I and mean, you're, you're both very busy in the off season, Lewis. You're moving about two hundred miles from the northwest back to Scotland, and, and Uri, you're travelling around the entire planet to come back to Europe. So uh, both in, have a good move, both of you. Thank you. <laughs> or Thank is this slightly more extreme. <laughs> Thank you very much.
3: Uh,
2: but gentlemen, have a good holiday season. And uh, thank you for everything you've done this year and all the coverage you've provided uh, and keeping uh, the rest of us uh, informed and entertained. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. And we'd love to hear from you, as always, about what you'd like us to do here on the next Autosport Podcast. What you think about MotoGP in 2024, uh, let us know. Hey, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.